Hello, friends. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. This is Katie Trotta. I am your host, and welcome to Health Formation. So today, we have a completely new type of interview. Um, I've never really had this type of conversation on the podcast before, and I am really excited to see what you guys think. So today, I'm interviewing Liv Cooper. Liv is really good friends with one of my best friends, Brianna, and Brianna and I were just chatting one morning when I was driving to work, and I don't even know how Liv came up in conversation, but we just started talking all about her health journey, and Brianna was updating me on what's been going on with Liv lately, and I don't know why something sparked. I just thought that Olivia would be an awesome person to have on the podcast for you guys to hear her story, and I think the thing that I hope that you get out of this conversation with Olivia is that really if you are experiencing your own kind of weird symptoms, something's not right, I don't know what's going on with my body, but it doesn't seem like I should be feeling this way, or you know, you have a diagnosis, but it doesn't really fully explain what you have, just keep doing your own research, keep doing your digging, and you will figure out what is wrong with you. So We'll talk all about this, but Olivia has been struggling with her health journey since she was a little girl, and she is now 31 years old and has finally gotten some answers that actually fit the picture of what is actually going on with her. So I don't know if any of you have ever watched the show Mystery Diagnosis on Discovery Channel, but my roommate in college and I used to watch that pretty much every night when we were going to bed, total nerds, but it's basically just you know, people that have all these problems and they go to a million and one doctors until they finally find the one that figures out what's going on with them. And that really is what Liv and I talk about today with her journey. Um, So I I just hope you enjoy it. I hope you like it. If you have any questions for Liv or any feedback for her, please, please reach out to her. Um, And if you are, you know, struggling on your own health journey, just keep digging. You will find the answers. You will figure out what's going on. Um, So thank you for listening and let's get right over to the conversation with Liv. So how are you? Where are you? Where do you live now? So I live in New York, um, but like maybe a month ago, I escaped and came down to Glen Burnie um, to stay with my sister and her husband because- Okay, because New York sucks. Yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't risk- like being kind of right in the middle of that. So right. I took the opportunity to get out of there. Were you in New York City? Yeah, I was in, um, I have a studio apartment in Greenwich Village. So okay. I'm living in Manhattan. So I was like truly right in the hot spot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was very strange. So yeah, I, I got out of there. Now I'm, you know, right outside of Baltimore. Oh, that's nice. Well, thanks for podcasting with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Brianna and I were like talking the other day and she just, I don't even know how you came up, but she just randomly started just telling me all about everything that you've been going through lately. And, and obviously like, I remember some of the, cause it's been going on for so long. I remember oh some of the stuff from when you guys were even in college and I was oh. Liv should be on my podcast. <laughs> I've never done anything. I told you I've never done a podcast before. And I've also never really talked like specifically about any of that stuff. But I mean, I'm down. I think it could be good for me because I it's 
super closeted. Yeah. Well, if we get to anything that you don't want to talk about, just tell me no and we'll just move on. Okay. Sounds good. I'm, I'm right. There might be certain things like there might be certain things I may not. Sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm an open book otherwise. So why don't we just start out and why don't you just tell us a little bit about like your background, where you grew up, your childhood, that kind of thing. So do you want me to touch on any of the health stuff? Because believe it or not, it, it does start very early. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I was born and raised in Salisbury, Maryland. It's a very small town. It's quite conservative, but it's cute. You know, like the things that maybe I didn't like about it in high school. Now, when I go back, it's a lot more charming and you just appreciate it a lot more. Yep. So, yeah. And I stayed there until I went, until I went to college. I went to Mary Washington, which is where, you know, I met Bree. And yeah, I just remember even from being a little child before I even had memory, like when I was born as an infant, I had unexplained like high spiking fevers and like my parents could not figure it out. Like I had rashes, you know, around my mouth, which I still get sometimes and, you know, full body rash and just these like really bizarre things as an infant. Mm-hmm. And when I, like the earliest memories I have are when I was starting to get a lot of like gastro issues, even when I was like a little girl. I think at one point, like I was waking up every single night in the night, like with pain in my belly, just nothing was right. Nothing was functioning correctly. And they, they really did do like my parents did so much because they knew something wasn't right. They knew it just wasn't right. And, you know, of course we tried with like local doctors and stuff, but it wasn't, nothing was really coming of it. You know, you get someone that says, Oh, you know, you have acid reflux, which probably I do. And, or someone would say, oh, you know, you just, you have a sore throat. That's it. There's no reason, you know, stuff they would be telling me. And then eventually we went to Johns Hopkins actually. And another specialist after that up in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia somewhere. And I was diagnosed with like an eosilophenic gastroenteritis and esophagitis as a little girl, like maybe around between eight years old and 10 years old. And during that time, I actually didn't grow. I didn't like grow normally for like a year and a half or two. Like I was really, I was just really sick. Like I I wasn't right and I wasn't growing. And that's kind of like the long and short of it. Well, I would say, were you like throwing up or you just didn't, you couldn't, you didn't want to eat anything? It was like anything. And this is something that stuck with me my whole life. Like basically I wouldn't, like eating anything was difficult. And there was one point, this is really interesting and this should have, clued me in earlier probably but I've just now put all those pieces together I did at some point have a, an allergy test an extensive food allergy test and I reacted to every severely to every single food type every, everything they pricked me with or did like tested me on came back positive so, so what did they do as a result of that they just told you don't eat like <laughs> basically I started Actually, I remember this is a really cute memory with my dad going to the grocery store after that and and just picking out all the most clean, like no gluten. I don't know what it was that we were looking for, but basically no wheat. You know, I had to cut out ketchup. That was like a big, big one for me. I love ketchup, but I did then. And, you know, I just remember going through all the things and like reading the back of the, of the 
boxes of things and just looking for really bland, no, nothing inflammatory, basically right. nothing that would cause like, but there's only so much you can do. And interestingly enough, when I found out from like the pediatric specialist that I had this eosilophenic like gastro problem, they recognized that that was some sort of allergic cell, you know, it's right. allergic inflammation. And he put me on singular. Okay. And I remember at the time, my mom and dad and I, like, we were just kind of like, okay, you know, I've been on, I had been on prednisone. That's been a big one throughout my life. And that was the only thing that ever helped me. But ironically, once I was on the prednisone for a while, uh, like I wouldn't tolerate it anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they put me on singular and I don't, I don't have any significant memory of what that did for me. It might've worked. I mean, thinking about how the drug works and like stabilizing in your inflammatory and immune response, it might work. I don't it know. might, you know, but I think it was just such a complex thing that was going on. So complex that it couldn't have been solved by just one simple like scope sure. of the body, you know? And it's just interesting because now I think autoimmune diseases are so much more common, but then in the nineties, like, I don't think our knowledge or our ability to diagnose or like recognize those things was nearly what it was now so it's just interesting that I don't know they even came up with anything I feel like was good the only reason I came they came up with anything I left you know small town USA and I went to Baltimore and I went to Philly and even he said this is like a, a this is a thing you know this eosinophilic it's something I'm seeing but I only have 10 patients in my whole practice that have that we've kind of found this type of thing with wow and they even said then you know this is really new stuff and you know they, they didn't have like biologics and stuff like right. that oh no definitely treat, treat that stuff and even you were little they wouldn't have put you on that and like, I was little I don't I don't know what they would have done I mean right. and here's the interesting thing which I think you'll find interesting as well I would have what mom and I would call like kind of remissions where you know, maybe I'd be okay for like a year. Like I would almost have like as a kid, like almost no, you know, it's never normal for me, but I would have a period of time that it was pretty good, you know, and things that we noticed that she noticed that she tells me even now that like would cause a big kind of flare up of the gastro stuff of the rashes, you know, just kind of systemic stuff uh, would be like if I got a cold or something, if I got a cold, fine, I'd get over the cold. But then two weeks later, I'd be stuck in this kind of horrible flare where I was waking up every night with abdominal pain and nausea, a lot of nausea, throwing up, all that stuff. So it's interesting to see how like it does kind of, it did kind of like flare, come and go more as a child. It kind of makes sense because if you had a cold and then your immune system was activated to fight that, and then you would be in like hyperactivation and then have all of those symptoms. I mean, obviously knowing what it is now, you can look back on it and think of it differently, but in the time, you're not going to be able to think of those kinds of things. They just thought it was autoimmune, but it was unidentified. And I, something like I really, even to this day, it's, I really struggle with not knowing. I'm, I like to find out why things are the way they are. I find those reasons. That's what I do for a living. Curiosity is like what I do for a living. So like that really even as a little girl, it really, really messed with my head, you know? Right. 
There's just so many questions with autoimmune though. Even now things we don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you went to college at Mary Washington and what kind of talk a little bit about that period of your life. I think during that time, I always felt like, you know, in the college setting, there's a lot of like going out and partying and like doing all of these like really fun things with your body. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I, I always realized even in high school and like, even as a little girl, like my lifestyle, it's different. Okay. I can't be going out. If I did an all nighter, I would be sick for days. I couldn't do it. So I felt like that really shaped the way that I interacted with I don't know things that people don't even realize like they they're able to do like you know go out and have a bunch of drinks stay up all night and like not that I'm interested in this at all but like there's people like doing drugs and that's had no impact on them right I think it just made me very disciplined especially in college because I could lock in just to thinking about like studying and work and memorizing stuff and it really makes your mind busy so I just think like that the college lifestyle I never really did that because it wasn't but it's not sad it's like I was happy with that yeah but you don't I don't interpret it as you missing out on anything like you still felt fulfilled in your college years like having good relationships and things yeah I, I had great relationships like I would say college was like a relatively healthy time for me aside from a couple very severe like infections which that started happening more often but you know day to day like I chose to have you know, the type of college lifestyle, I'm so happy to be here and like meet new people. And like, that's how I met Brie. And I just, I just wasn't because of my health. I had to be really conscious, you know, of what I was doing. Right. So didn't you get, I have a memory of you getting a diagnosis in college of Mm. something like super random that had like 10 people in the world had had it or something. Some random. Oh, I've had so many diagnoses over the years. Um, there was one, actually, it wasn't in college, but this is the, probably the one you're thinking of. My senior year of high school, I did like a tilt table test. Okay. Which is like, you know, you know what that is, obviously. And um, I had like extreme reactions to that. And so they gave the, based on what that showed, they told me I had POTS. This is the random thing, probably. Okay. Which is, it's like, stands for... Um, like postural, postural, orthostatic, what is the T? Tachycardia. Tachycardia, yeah. And that's true. I still have that, you know, like, it's, but it, I knew when they told me that it's like, okay, yes, but like that's secondary to everything. Yeah, to every, and I knew it. And that's the thing that's driven me. It's like, I've had that intuition for a long, that is not what I'm dealing with. Like, yes, it causes problems, but, um, so I think I kind of went off of that in college, you know? And, but in POTS doesn't explain any of the GI stuff. I tried to make it explain that in my mind, you know? Yeah, because they told you. They, they told you that with assurance, but it didn't pan out. So after college, you did you move straight to New York? I can't remember. I went home for, no, I went home for a little bit. Okay. And what were you um, doing? So I actually, this is how I ended up in advertising because I'm an art director in advertising now. And um when I went home to small town USA, as I like to call it, Salisbury, um, I got a job in digital media. I basically was planning out where digital ads were going to go on the internet. Like nothing sexy at all, but cool. it kind of gave 
me, yeah, it gave me like a like leeway into actually getting into a grad program, a portfolio school, and a master's degree in Virginia. Okay. So I worked at home for a little bit. Then I convinced people to let me into uh, <laughs> VCU Brand Center, which is in Richmond. I got my master's there, a portfolio there, and then I moved to New York. Okay. So that was so I, how many years ago? Five? I graduated. So in 2014, I believe I went to grad school. I graduated in 2016. Okay. So almost six, four years. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. And what do you do? What do you do now? You said you're an art director. Yeah. So I currently, um, I'm at an agency in Brooklyn and I'm an art director there. So, um, I'm working on like a couple different brands, but you know, we make ads, we make content for, uh, like different brands on social media, just that kind of stuff. So it's, it's cool. I'm taking a little break at the moment, but that's, I have to, but that's where, where I'm at right now. Right. Awesome. So, okay. So you moved to New York and then what kind of progressed with your health when you got out of grad school into your kind of career? You know, I have to say that like, it's been with me all through the years. I know you're asking about New York, but I had some pretty significant stuff happen when I was in Richmond. Okay. I mean, this happens, but I got a, uh, appendicitis. Mm Mm-hmm. And that does happen with people. But now when I look back on it, I do think it's inflammatory. I do. I think that like I was inflamed in the first place and it just aggravated that. I also started getting, you know, random hives on my face, like not connected to anything that I was like putting on my face and um, just having a lot of skin, like rash, just issues, just systemic kind of like connective tissue issues along with like all the gastro stuff. Um, And then when I went to New York, I immediately was thrown into a very intense lifestyle. It was like work. I didn't have a weekend for like two months. It was like 104 hours a week sometimes, like a lot of hours. Right. All nighters. And, you know, about six months into that, I started having really weird things happen. For example, I was feeling really foggy. I couldn't, I started forgetting, like I started having a lot of brain fog, a lot of like short-term memory stuff that I could not, it was really scary because I was like, what is going on? And I got tremors and I just felt so fatigued. I started getting like lymph nodes. I started getting strep, what I thought was strep, Hmm. month after month. Like I was just becoming, I don't know, like I don't know why that happened. I think it just, with age, it kind of progressed into different things, but um. And then that led eventually, once I had, you know, I had that strep throat a couple times, I noticed that the antibiotics that they were putting me on and prednisone, you know, in combination, they would make me better for a little bit. But then as soon as I was done, it came back like right. severe sore throat, deep, like my neck, all of my lymph nodes swollen, just high fever, like over 103 just very sick. Did you actually have strep? Like, were they swabbing you or? Well, so I would go for these swabs. Uh Okay. So if you looked at my throat, it was a strep throat. I had like not to be gross. Yes. Extremely swollen, extremely sore, almost the point you can't talk. It looked like a strep throat. 
So I went and did get tested for flu and strep and they were always negative. Hmm. They were always negative, but they would put me on antibiotics and prednisone anyway, because you're seeing like stuff back there. Right. Anyway, when it wasn't under control, like wasn't getting under control, I saw one emergency room doctor because I was in and out of the ER constantly. And he was like, has anyone asked you about like any like systemic or like autoimmune type thing that's going on? Like, has anyone talked to you about that? Like, how are you doing with the antibiotics? And I was like, well, they're not working. And then he, I went and I saw, I got referred out to a, what's the the person that studies viruses and ID infectious disease. Yes. An infectious disease doctor. Cause they're like, what is this virus? Every, I had, every single test done, every single one you could think of. And it was nothing. It, they even checked for STDs, like in my throat, like they found they could not figure it out. So then of course, when I got the other blood work done, they started to test those inflammatory markers and all that stuff. And they started to see some things that were a little bit strange. So, so you didn't have like one doctor, you were just going to the ED when these things were ha- happening. That's not true. I skipped that part. I actually a guy, my, actually my boss at work recommended Dr. Bazardam at Northwell Health in Greenwich Village. And I went to him and he is the one that has kind of kicked off where I am now in terms of knowing what's going on. So what kind of doctor is he? He's just a primary care physician. Um, uh, but here's the thing about him. He knows what he doesn't know. And he knows kind of where he should send you. And he's very good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And he's, everyone he has sent me to from that point forward was just amazing. Like he, I have to drop his name here because he's just been, you know, so wonderful. He's like really been a part of, you know, making my life a lot better. So you still see him? Oh, yes. Yes. I still see him even on telehealth now. <laughs> um, and. Um, he was great. He was the one, you know, I saw him. I remember going to his office with this fever. I just couldn't even stay on my feet. I was just in pain. It was so horrible. And he was like, did my blood work. And he's the one that saw that, like, I had very high neutrophil and it looked like a, like some sort of infection. He sent me to an infectious disease doctor. Meanwhile, I'm going to the ER on the weekends because I live alone. Um, Infectious disease doctors, like, there's nothing here. Like, there's nothing there. Then during that time, I find out that the prednisone is what's really helping me. If I take the prednisone, I clear up. Right. Um, Including the fever. Um, At this point, do you still think, are they still kind of working on that eosinophilic gastritis diagnosis? Or is that kind of out the window? Oh, that's just from, like, my memory of childhood. No one even none of these doctors knew about that. I I started fresh and really that's fair because I didn't know what was going on in in my gut, even though I was having horrible gut problems anyway. Right. You know, on top of that, which was just, has always been with me come and go. This stuff started happening and it was like a whole other level. It was a whole other level. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. It's, it's been a very long, complex journey. You're not rambling from him he kind of like pushed me out into different avenues. One of them was an ears, nose and throat doctor because 
had a lot of swelling in my lymph nodes in my neck. And I think at some point I had a couple in my underarms. Mm -hmm. So I saw the infectious disease doctor. Then of course, like he sent me to a rheumatologist. Right. Initially I went to NYU to Dr. Olga Petrina and she was wonderful. She's the one that then tested me for all of the, I don't know if you know about these, they're like familial Mediterranean fever type genetic. See, it's like highly specialized, but basically she tested my genetics for uh, periodic fever syndrome. Because now from that point forward, when I had that big blow up, I had a daily fever up until about two months ago, I had a daily fever. Wow. Yes. And you did say when you were a baby, you even had fever. So this goes all the way back to infancy. Yes. It's intense. It's deep in there, Katie. It's deep. So did you feel just like so crappy and tired? Like when you have a fever, you don't want to oh do God. anything. I don't want to make it seem like, oh, poor me, but it's been damn rough. Let me tell you. And the tricky part is that the exterior, it doesn't match what's going on behind closed doors and what's going on inside my body. And that's been a, that's been a struggle too, because, you know, my only sense of control, like in the past two years, like that episode first happened two years ago, my only sense of control is getting myself together and just getting through the day. And I think it's hard for people to understand. I can't expect them to, but it's hard for people to really understand like the stuff that you're dealing with when you you try to put yourself together and you want to like make people laugh and you just want to have normalcy. Mm -hmm. So that was hard. It was, I, I don't know how I kept my job for two years, the past two years. Well, I was just thinking too, it's almost like a blessing and a curse that you were in New York city because in New York city, you have the lifestyle where you have to be like moving and going all the time. And that was probably so hard for you with all of your illnesses, but then also all of those doctors and specialists that you had access to because you were in New York. Oh, so it's yeah. kind of like a win and a lose. Oh my God, Katie, seriously, I thank my lucky stars all the time. This is really heady of me, but I believe that from the moment I decided to get into advertising, go to grad school in Richmond, I truly believe that it was the universe guiding me to New York where I find my answers. I, that's what I believe 100%. And, and that's more important to me than any graduation. It's more important to me than any accomplishment I could ever think of to get this figured out and treated and just, just find out what's going on. Like, yeah. So, okay. So at this point you've gone to the ID doctor, you've gone to the rheumatologist, you've gone to the ENT, you're Mm -hmm. having daily fevers, you feel bad. Yes. And what is the next step? So I then get diagnosed by my first rheumatologist with adult onset stills disease. Okay. Which, what is that? So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Big Sick. Yeah. The disease that she has is what they diagnosed me with. Okay. However, Hers had progressed so far, it had gone into her lungs. So she was, it was getting her lungs. And that was, I'm very lucky because I never had any lung involvement at all. Um, 
but basically it's just a disease where your body, it's an inflammatory, auto-inflammatory disease, like different than an autoimmune disease in that the auto-inflammatory disease is one that attacks your innate, you know, the, the immune system that you were born with. The, the problem is in your immune system that you were born with, not the one that you acquired. Okay. I'm, I'm explaining that to you like you don't know. You're the expert, not me. But I don't, that, know. I don't know anything about Sills disease. So that's a good explanation. Neither did I. And then it was like, oh, great. This is like even more rare. Like it's extremely rare. Not a lot of people have that going on. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like that makes sense. But then I started reading about it. And I don't read Google. I read medical papers. Okay. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I... I can understand after all of this different language and what's going on. And there were things in that diagnosis that from the get-go, it just did not fit with what was, you know, kind of laid out in that diagnosis of exclusion. So when, when she diagnosed or the rheumatologist diagnosed you with adult onset cell disease, how much like digging and how much time did they spend with you before they kind of like came to that conclusion? she didn't uh, spend a lot of time on it. And I think that's because there are doctors, I believe there are doctors that are very curious and that they want to know the puzzle pieces. And there's doctors that don't have that and they're very by the books. And I understand that. The ones I want on my team are the ones that are like, just, they're, they're asking questions. They're like trying to figure it out. Like they understand it's this big puzzle piece. And I think with, Dr. Petrina is wonderful. She, I owe her so much for kicking me off on my journey as well. I think that she saw that like one of my um, like IgG immunoglobulins or whatever mm-hmm. was, uh, was high or something. Something was, something was off with those. And she felt that in conjunction with some of the kind of symptoms that I was having, such as achiness, extreme achiness, daily fever, um, swollen lymph nodes, feeling horrible. She felt like that, all of that together, knowing that it's a diagnosis of exclusion, that um, this was looking a lot like adult onset still disease. That's how she came to that conclusion. Okay. But then also thinking that doesn't explain the fact that you've had this for your whole life. Well, the really hard thing about the, about this is that like, I, it's a lot, it's a big story to tell and they don't have the time. They don't, it's hard to have that time with them. So when I find a doctor that really does think, oh, she had eosinophilic gastroenteritis as a, as a kid, she didn't grow. Oh, she's, you know, having like sudden diarrhea out of nowhere. Someone, a doctor that really kind of puts that together yeah, I, I think it didn't make sense to me. And I'm not sure. I think she did an awesome job. And I think that's what she truly thought. Mm-hmm. So that was about two years ago in August. That would have been my Stills disease diagnosis. So from that point forward, I was trying to believe that. I was trying to go with that. Did they treat you with anything? Oh, yes. Yes. So right away I was put on... I'm. I've been on about four biologics. Okay. Four different ones. Also keep in mind during this time, I've become dependent on 
prednisone because I have no other protection from inflammation. Like I have nothing else. So um, that's really what complicates this is when you start taking the biologics and you start taking prednisone, not only is that very difficult, um, it's very difficult. It's even worse on your mental because you know, like in my head, I knew that this wasn't quite right because I knew my whole picture and I knew I was taking these meds that probably weren't going to work for me, but I have a doctor who's a professional saying, this is what you need to do. So there's always like this kind of tension between my intuition and, you know, wanting to be compliant with what she felt they felt was best. So did they help at all? No, not at all. They didn't touch anything. They didn't help me at all. If anything, like, I think the first one I was on, I think it was called Ilaris. It's an interleukin six, I think. It gave me horrible, uh, like, it flared up my gastro problems so bad. Like, it, I had a horrible pains in my belly. I was, like, having diarrhea. I was vomiting. I could not eat. It, it really did not help me at all. Okay. So told her that she really encouraged me to stick with these, you know, you have to stick with these biologics for three to six months in order to see an improvement. Right. It's not like taking Advil and saying, oh, my headache's gone. So it's really hard. It's hard to make a judgment call, you know, for me personally, it's hard. But on that one, I mean, if it's flaring you up so bad, I feel like probably not. Did you go off of it or did you stay on it? There was no proof that it was, you know, yes, that's one of the side effects, but like she, I don't know. It's just, it's so complex. And yes, eventually we said, let's move on to the next mm-hmm. because then, you know, this is not working. I think I moved on to another one, a different brand. I can't remember the name of it, but like for all intents and purposes, they were all interleukin inhibitors. But let me tell you the worst part of all of this. Okay. I was down to be a guinea pig. I was down to do that and try this out. But when you take prednisone and you take those drugs, you are masking what's going on. Yep. Everything. You, it doesn't matter. You're going to get blood work back and it's going to be beautiful and perfect, but you're still going to have painful bones and swollen lymph nodes because you're masking it. So during that time when I couldn't just stop taking prednisone or stop taking the biologics, I couldn't even seek out another answer because I know it's masked. They know it's masked. But again, the Stills disease wasn't making sense because one of the markers of adult onset Stills disease is like a very high ferritin blood level. Okay. That's very high. That's like one of the quintessential markers of that specific disease. You have to have it in order to have, you know, Stills. I never had high, I never had a high ferritin from the get go. Right. Hmm. That's how I knew in my heart. I was like, this doesn't seem quite right. Right. So, were you having any like adverse effects of all the long term prednisone? Oh my god! Let me tell you, this drug—if you can avoid ever in your life taking prednisone, don't do it. It has destroyed my skin. I have makeup on. Thank goodness for that. But. Never in my life have I had one pimple. And then now I have, I'm just covered with acne. It thinned out my skin, especially like on my legs. These are all like aesthetics type things, but you know, there's a deeper. Yeah, thinning of the skin. I don't heal, like any scratch, nothing heals. 
I've lost 50% of my hair volume. I, you know. Honestly, normally you'll get like really puffy and like a round face, but you don't, you look fine. <laughs> okay. I don't have it now. Um, but I did have that as well. A lot of, um, a lot of that. A oh, lot that's of usually the most bothersome thing for people, like the fluid retention and the. Oh my God, it's bad. You get a very, I don't know if my face will ever go back to where it was, but I'm lucky. But part of the reason is because I wasn't eating well. I didn't gain weight. I lost weight because I was just, right. I, couldn't, I couldn't keep food down. Or, and also I wasn't absorbing because my stomach, like I did get scoped in the past year and it was all inflamed, you know, but prednisone, you can become very dependent in, in yeah. some way, become dependent on it. You're, are you off of it now? So I'm really proud of this. I'm down to 2.5 milligrams a day. Awesome. To put that into perspective, I was taking like 40 milligrams back in like August. Right. And you have to, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, you have to like slowly taper off because the drug suppresses your immune system. So if you um, go off of the medication, you can have a really bad adverse effect because your immune system needs to be able to produce its own steroids again. And to be able to do that, you need to slowly get off of the endogenous steroids that you're putting into your body. So, yeah. okay. So no, 2016 stills disease in your heart. You're like, no. So what did you, and you just, did you just start researching from there on your own or? Yeah. So this is so like me, of course, I became extremely educated on it. And I told you, I read every medical paper I could find on it mm -hmm. from diagnosing it to treating it. And more and more as I read, I was like, this, this, this ain't right. <laughs> this ain't right. So around that time, like I would say about eight months ago, I started getting really random, like a full face of hives or like puffy lips or rash around my eyes. I would get flushing. I would get like sudden nausea, sudden, sorry to be gross, everyone, sudden diarrhea. And then this is like the saving grace. I started getting a full body rash, extremely itchy, more than I could ever like even explain to you. The most itchy thing to the point where like I would take a hairbrush and like scratch myself because I was so itchy. And to me, it looked like eczema. So I went to a dermatologist and from there, she told me, she took a biopsy of it. And she said, oh, you know, you're having a contact dermatitis. And I was like, okay. And then that didn't, started not to make sense after a couple months. But a contact dermatitis wouldn't hit all the inflammation and the swelling in your face and everything. It wouldn't account for that. It also wouldn't account for it being... I mean, it could account for it being widespread, but it just wasn't quite making sense. But I gave it a chance. Okay. After about two months of the rash actually progressing, it was actually getting worse. I went to my room, uh, my rheumatologist, Dr. Nino at Northwell. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I, I'd really like to see an allergist. Like I'm having a rash around my eyes all the time, my mouth. I'm having, this rash isn't going away. And she was like, Okay, here you go. She she didn't she just kind of gave me a contact and I was like, oh, awesome. So I went and I saw the allergist. And uh her name's Dr. Kosha, also with Northwell. She 
is awesome. She really listened to me and she even listened to kind of the little bits from my past. And, you know, it was kind of a regular appointment. And at the very end, I was like, hey, I don't, I was like, I know that's awful when patients say they Googled something on the internet, but I've been reading about mast cell diseases and I really, really think this is me. And I like, is there any, do you think that's off base? And, you know, if not, like, can we just check this out? Because I'm not doing well out here. And she was like, actually, you know what? Like with your sudden like gastro problems, your rash, your flushing, you can't link it to anything, your history of not growing, you know, the brain fog. She even, even the brain fog, like down to the short-term memory loss. She was like, you know what? That's not off base. That's not off base. So she did test it. And how did you feel like in that moment? Well, I felt validated at that moment because my whole life, you know, you have doctors, they don't, it's hard. They're the professional, but yet, you know, your body. So it's really hard to say, "Mm, I kind of think you're wrong, you know, or, you know, it's hard to say that. So in that moment when she was like, she was my teammate. Okay. And all of these doctors have been my teammate. Like I literally call them my team because with each of them, they kind of put me on to the next step. And I felt like at that moment, I was like, this is probably nothing. I'm probably wrong, you know, but I felt validated because she, she was like, actually, yeah. Okay. And then you got the test. So that's that. Yes, I did get, (laughs) I've gotten about 50% of the tests. It's, it's, um, it's kind of extensive testing because the mast cells behave, depending on which type of mast cell disease you have, the, the configuration of the mast cells, I guess I should say, are different. Okay. So that's where COVID comes into play. So I did my, <laughs> yeah, I did my first, you know, test, which was not fun. It was a 24 hour urine collection. Yep. Which I've never done before. And I was like, this is kind of gross. I'm like peeing into this jug for a day. <laughs> so at the very beginning of COVID, when I really wasn't supposed to be out, I like went up there, got my drug, did the test and took it back. And I just thought nothing would come of it. Honestly, I was like, had been denied so many times, like an idea that I was like, there's no way. And then of course, yeah, it came back very high for urinary prostaglandins and all of that. So it basically just said that, hey, you know, we don't know why, like what or why, and we can't label it yet, but you have a mast cell disease and these prostaglandins um, are a piece of that. And it's a byproduct of the mast cells that go into the urine. Can you explain like what a mast cell is if anyone doesn't know? Or I mean, I can if you don't. <laughs> you explain, you explain. Okay, so um, the mast cells are what get released when you have an allergic reaction and they stimulate histamine. So you have histamine one and histamine two. So histamine one is going to be more in your periphery and histamine two is going to be more in your GI. So when you have histamine release, that's what you think of when you have like an allergic reaction. Say you have like a pollen, a allergic reaction to pollen, the release of the histamine is going to cause you to have all of that like itchiness and runny and everything. And so you take an antihistamine, which would be like Benadryl or Claritin or Zyrtec to help stabilize that. And then 
like I said, you also have histamine in your GI. So you have like ranitidine and famotidine that can stop the histamine reaction in the GI. And that is what can cause the like having GERD or acid reflux. But when you have a severe allergic reaction, like if you have, so say if you think of someone that's allergic to peanuts and they eat a peanut and they have that severe allergic reaction, which we call it to be angioedema, it's an overproduction of all of those inflammatory markers and the allergic markers. And so I think with mast cell disease, you kind of just have like inappropriate release of or activation of the mast cells when they're not supposed to be activated. I think that's kind of how I understand it in a very basic level. Is that what you understand it to be as well? That is, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know better than me. <laughs> well, mast cell disease obviously isn't very common, so I'm not that well versed yeah. in the the like patho of it and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing too, it's like, I'm so new to it. And what's confusing to me sometimes is, yes, that's true. What you just described would be considered, from what I understand, a mast cell activation syndrome. Mm-hmm. There are some kind of, you know, different levels of that. So every mast cell patient will have activation at inappropriate times, but not every mast cell patient will have a proliferation or like too many of the mast cells almost at all times being produced. Okay. That's, and that's, I have to be like fully transparent. I'm in between, I'm, I'm, tr- we're waiting to find out if I'm someone that simply is having them chronically activate at a normal number, number, but at abnormal times. Or if I'm a patient that in fact is having an overproduction of them in conjunction with having them react to everything. It kind of sounds like both based on like having symptoms all the time. You kind of have symptoms, but then sometimes you have a flare up um, when it's really bad and that's when they would be overactivated. And that's exactly what my intuition tells me. That's what my research, I mean, I am not a doctor at all. I've just read a lot, but yeah. And I'm just, honestly, I'm just like, shocked that I feel like in a way I took part in I feel like I diagnosed myself you did and that I I'm going to when this is done when I when COVID is over and I get the rest of the tests for this to really nail it down I'm having a party out here okay this is like 31 years of hoping and searching and and just it means a lot to me and you you need to I mean I think you should let all of your doctors know that you've gone to, like, this is actually what it is. Like I wasn't off base with saying, you know, to keep searching or whatever. You know, it's interesting because I've kept in touch with all of the ones that I've had in New York. I've kept in touch with uh-huh. because that, you know, it's, they also helped like them not knowing exactly and giving me something helped mm-hmm. me realize it wasn't that something. So there is no, I'm like so happy with all, pretty much all of the doctors that I've had experiences with in New York. It's been seriously a game changer for me. So how do you like mentally kind of, how are you feeling now? I, I'm like, I'm, I have a lot of, it sounds maybe silly. I have a lot of trauma from trauma from all of this and there's such a huge uh 
mental space that has been kind of taken up by this for my whole life, but specifically in the past two years, it, I mean, it's, you become a little bit obsessive because you don't have the answer. I'm a little bit of obsessive anyway. It's, it's kind of destroying your life. You want to fix it. I don't sit back and, and complain. I want to fix it. Right. And then I, I complain a little bit after that, but <laughs> um, so I think like from a mental standpoint, I have that sense of hope that I haven't ever really had. And I'm just excited. I'm excited for COVID to pass so I can go back to New York, finish the bone marrow testing, finish the genetic testing and just get the treatment going and like get back to work and just be like the person that I want to be and not have to think about my body all the time. So did they kind of tell you what the treatment plan would be or what do you know what you're going to have to do? Yeah. So, um, the allergist who, you know, at some point does want to send me to a specialist for this in Boston. Um, for now, she's saying, let's start here. Let's get you on an antihistamine regimen, which is what I've been doing for the past about, this is about a month and a half old now. So like you mentioned earlier, I block both, I'm taking antihistamines throughout the day to block both the H1, uh, the histamine one and histamine twos, mm-hmm. as well as at night I'm taking uh, monoleucus, which is singular. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we're back to singular. We're, and that's the crazy thing, we're back to singular. And that's why I mentioned it earlier because yeah. so interesting, right? Yeah. So interesting. I'm hoping that someone hears this, I don't know, in a far off distant land and it's like, oh my God, that's me. Let me start. Like, let, maybe let's try some Zyrtec. Let me go see an allergist and maybe yeah. it will help someone. Um, so you're taking Zyrtec, Fomotidine, and Singular? Or what else? Is that right? Or no? So in the morning, do you want me to just, like, say what I take in the morning? Yeah, I want to know because I'm a nerd. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I eat pills for breakfast, but they're good pills. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm taking... Zier, one Zyrtec in the morning, along with one Fomatidine. Fomatidine. Fomatidine, yep. Um, one, I, one quick thing that I do have to say, they're, right now, Fomotidine is being tested to treat COVID. Oh my God, I believe it. Wow. Isn't that weird? <laughs> okay, one other thing I have to add to that. So one of the remaining biologics that I'm still on right now, I didn't mention that to you, but I'm taking a drug called Actimra. Uh-huh. Um, and the generic name is something I can't pronounce, Tuxlumab, Tuxlumab, sure. something like that. But what I've learned from my rheumatologist and my doctors up in New York, that's what they're giving people intravenously for severe cases of COVID because the Actemra um, actually blocks inflammation. inflammation. So it's, I swear this universe is like so beautiful because- as much as I didn't want to be on this dangerous, like this heavy drug, Actemra, it's, and prednisone, it, it honestly could protect me a little bit in the yeah. case where I'm exposed. And yet it's this thing that I didn't want to be taking that I wasn't really supposed to be taking in retrospect. Right. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that I think the universe aligned. In some you're, on two, you're on two COVID drugs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, of course, you know, they still do you know, immune suppress you quite oh. a bit, but yeah. So you're doing Zyr- Zyrtec, Famotidine, 
Yes, uh, halfway through the day, take a Claritin. Okay. Then in the evening before dinner, I take another famotidine. I take another Zyrtec. And then at night, I take my Singular. And I should mention as well, I've been taking aspirin. I've been doing aspirin therapy because I don't know the science of it, but that also is kind of like the first or second line of treatment for mast cell. Oh, cool. I, I have to do some more research on it, but basically it blocks, it blocks something that comes from mast cells. Platelets? No, I, I think it, I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but that's kind of my mast cell treatment, which is so benign and so much yeah. better. Than- those are, I was just thinking, those are such like easy drugs to take, have to take. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have all of those huge adverse effects of prednisone or your biologics. Yep. Now I just got to, you know, I think the goal now, what I see in my horizon is, you know, getting off of the Actemra, getting off of all of the immunosuppressants and just being free of that and rebuilding my health and just, yeah. So it's been working. Like, have you had any symptoms since you've... Obviously, it's not going to be completely gone after 31 years, but like symptom improvement with your new regimen? I have to be really realistic here. It has improved it a little bit in the sense that the the rash on my body is less itchy and doesn't flare up as much. I also now, it has enabled me, taking those has enabled me to work out. Because for a while, if I walked upstairs, I would have to throw up because I was having like a mini anaphylaxis going upstairs, stuff like that. Okay. So we have a, I have a patient that I see at work. One of our NPs manages him, but I was kind of involved in it as well. And he has exercise induced anaphylaxis, but it's not actually anaphylaxis. It's just like what you said. Like when he would start to work out, he would get the symptoms of the mast cell release. And so we put him on a baby dose or sorry, hydroxyzine. So 10 milligrams of hydroxyzine, which is an antihistamine H1, but it's, it's a first generation. So it's kind of more like Benadryl than it would be more like Claritin or Zyrtec. And it cured all, it cleared him up. So he doesn't have that anymore. I'm telling you, there's nothing more debilitating than having those little reactions because you have to go throw up. Sometimes you're going to almost yeah. poop your Also, you it, you get air hungry. That was something I was noticing too. Is like, I'm telling you, I'm a fit person. I've worked out my whole life. 10 minutes of working out and I had to run to the bathroom. I, I was starting to lose my vision. I was like getting confused. Like it's a real thing. And it's crazy to think that when I started taking Zyrtec, I was then able to get through working out, get through, like just getting upstairs was hard for me at some point. So did they talk about doing like a stronger antihistamine or a first generation at bedtime? So yes, I think right now the game plan for me is because of COVID. I'm not running in there to like have these unnecessary bone marrow boxes and all that. So I think the first step is sticking with these antihistamines. Then when I go back to New York, and we can really settle, like really settle it, Mm -hmm. specify which mast cell disease it is, then they'll determine which of those next steps I'll need. But yes, like I I think that's going to happen because to be honest with you, Katie, like I would say that I'm 
50% better, but I, I'm still not having like normal functioning. I wouldn't right. say. Well, I would just think, cause normally if I, if anyone has a rash, I always do Benadryl first and like, just take Benadryl, see if it goes away. So maybe Benadryl would. For sure. Uh, I do have Benadryl by my bed as well. So every once in a while I'll take that. Do you have, I guess my final question, do you have any advice to people who may be having like, not your exact symptoms, but some sort of like mystery diagnosis problem? You know, I kind of said it before, but I think the number one thing is like, take it into your own hands. No, you're not a medical expert and always remember that. Always be compliant, but I think it's very important to listen to your intuition. You are living in your body. Your answers are there. Mm -hmm. And I think take it into your own hands, do your reading. I would write stuff down. I would like literally make charts on symptoms because I was having so many bizarre things. And also just stay solid, you know, just stay solid. It's, it's really can take a heavy mental toll to be in that headspace for long periods of time. Yeah, I can imagine. I was just going to say, I'm so like happy for you that you kind of came to a conclusion and at least are feeling even 50% better. Oh, I'm thanking my lucky stars for like all the little, you know, paths I went down, whether they were wrong or right or seriously, just follow your intuition and, you know, educate yourself. That's the most you could do. And, and don't be afraid, you know, I think too, patients like, oh, it's weird to go. Who cares what the doctor thinks if you said you Googled something? What if it's right? And if so, that doctor, yeah, if that doctor is going to be mad about that, then that might not be the right doctor for you. And that's okay. Yeah. I think just, just persist. That's it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. How, did it feel kind of liberating to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> it really did. I've not like I, I have not really talked about it that openly, especially knowing that like it's going to be even more open to whoever wants to listen. So I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. It's been good for me too. Really good well, for me too. I I I appreciate you even just coming on and talking to me and telling us your story. I mean, obviously I knew a little from Brie, but just hearing everything was really interesting. Thank you for listening to me too. I always feel like because it's, there's so much to tell and there's so much detail and you've been in your mind. I hope I didn't like ramble too, Mm -hmm. too much. No, I don't feel like you rambled at all. All right. All right, Liv. All right. Talk to you soon now. All right, friends, that was it. So I hope that you got something out of that conversation and just thank you so much for choosing to spend your time with us. Um, Please connect with me on social media, healthformpod on Instagram and Twitter, and then healthformation on Facebook and healthformation.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in as always, and I hope you have a happy and healthy day.